Welcome to Access Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Bridge Bank. Be bold. Venture wisely. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, the UK gets tough on internet content and why Chuck E. Cheese still matters. But first, the new American capitalism. For decades now, we've heard complaints about how America's political system is broken uh, due to everything from gerrymandering to dark money. But now there's also a growing chorus saying that America's core economic system, capitalism, is in need of a massive overhaul. So some of this comes from the resurgent political left, which largely views capitalism as fundamentally inept. But some is also coming from those who have benefited most from capitalism like billionaire investor Ray Dalio. He basically argues that America's capitalist system has been taken to its logical but unfortunate extremes, resulting in way too large a divergence between the haves and have-nots. For example, we now have a record high income gap and a wealth gap unseen here since the 1930s. Dalio argues all of this is an existential threat to the nation, particularly as it self-reinforces via access or lack of access to quality education and healthcare. Now, sure, there is something intrinsically eye-rolling about a billionaire talking about income inequality, but that doesn't mean he's wrong. And it's not too dissimilar a message to what we've been hearing for years from now presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren, who has argued that capitalism shouldn't be scrapped but it must be reformed. This could mean stronger regulations, a different sort of tax system, thoughtful and increased investment in education, and then consequences for those who use top-line GDP to mask underlying weaknesses. In fact, this could well become the defining issue of the 2020 presidential campaign, and one that redefines the populism that helped elect President Trump. We'll go deeper in 20 seconds with Axio CEO Jim Vandehei. But first, this. Bridgebank believes in the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors, those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. That's why Bridgebank has been dedicated to providing financial solutions to sponsor-backed emerging technology and growth companies for nearly two decades through its national network of banking teams and offices. Bridgebank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridgebank, be bold, venture wisely. We're joined now by Axios CEO Jim Vandehei. So, Jim, over the weekend, you wrote a piece for Axios about what you called the new American capitalism. What kind of prompted you? Why do you want to write about it? One, you're seeing on the left, obviously, a, a broad rethinking of capitalism and, in fact, like a pretty wide flirtation with socialism. I was more struck by some of the conversation I'm hearing from CEOs and certainly on the right, that there's an acknowledgement that this inequality just can't last and that the system clearly, probably because of technology, is even more stacked against everybody other than the super rich and that you're starting to have this debate. And so it's hard to see that over the next couple of years, they're not being not just a broad rethinking, but probably a lot of tinkering with capitalism. And I think on one side, it could swing all the way towards socialism. If you look at where the sort of the energy is in the Democratic Party, but more likely just leads to like a broad rethinking of everything from how we tax the rich to the amount of power that we give to these big tech companies, which really do concentrate power and wealth. You talked about the difference between the left and the right. And, and obviously you're seeing these things from Dalio, from Jamie Dimon and other you kind of big name CEOs. Do you sense though there's any political appetite inside the actual Republican Party for some of these things? I mean, you mentioned taxes. Their biggest accomplishment in the Trump years has been the tax cut plan, which is kind of the antithesis of this movement. I don't see a ton of appetite, especially with elected Republicans in office now. But you see flicks 
looks at this idea that like capitalism, or at least the way we thought about it the last 30 to 40 years, doesn't necessarily have to operate the way we have. I mean, look how much leeway Trump gets when he tries to, you know, sort of interfere with the Fed or when he tries to sort of bully individual companies, stuff that would have been sort of shocking to your traditional Republican before that they now tolerate, if not encourage. And so I don't think there's like a, if you look at the elected Republicans that they're thinking about is like serious substantive tweaks to capitalism. I think what ends up happening is it gets squeezed. It gets squeezed from sort of this uh, uprising of socialism on the left and whatever you want to call the sort of strongman nationalism of Trump on the other side, that out of that capitalism gets squeezed in something else, something that looks a little bit different than what we have today probably emerges and might have to emerge, by the way. Like if you think about populism, not just here, but think about it overseas, so much of it does come from the fact that 60% of people are basically at where they were at in 1980 and the rich are two or three times richer than they were. And so much of that goes to technology. That's the single biggest change between 1980 and now. And you see it with the big tech companies getting bigger. You see it with the big hedge funds getting bigger. You see it with the wealthy getting wealthier. You think about automation when it hits a company. Well, who benefits from that? Well, the company does, the shareholders, rich and rich. And then the person who builds that technology who becomes rich, the person who gets shafted in it, right, is the worker, is like the 60% of America. And that can't hold when you have that us versus them and you have that disparity being so glaring. That's when you get political and social unrest. Plus our robot overlords, they, they get the benefit too. From your perspective, you talk about tech and big tech. Is that, you think, the first place, politically speaking, we're going to really see it? In part because the dislike of some of these platforms for disparate reasons, but it is seemingly the only thing that unites both political parties right now? I do. And again, I don't think this is like a six month project. I think it's a three to four year project. You see it obviously starting in Europe, but it's hitting here. Like people are thinking about the power and the reach and the scope of these big companies. They're thinking about the power of their own data and then the power that accumulative data has uh, for these big companies. They're even, you're even starting to see a debate even on the left and, and, and maybe a little bit on the right about how we think about monopolies, right? For our lifetime, you thought about monopolies. Well, that company's bad because it's leading to higher consumer prices. But a lot of the big, powerful monopolies of today, you end up with better products and lower prices, but a concentration of authority, a concentration of power that a lot of people think could be dangerous. And then you think on top of that about artificial intelligence. Like Artificial intelligence really is going to make the internet seem like small ball. And so it probably exacerbates all these trends that we're talking about. So to me, it's a super healthy debate. We haven't really done anything to the tech company since they were born, and it's probably a good time to think about data, to think about privacy, to think about power, to think about reach. One of the things that, that's in the Ray Dalio piece, that, and he posted this on LinkedIn for those who want to read it, one of the things he talks about in there is education and kind of how this inequality is kind of festering the self-reinforcing lack of educational opportunity. And I'm thinking back to the last presidential campaign, and every now and then you'll talk, you know, you'll hear a candidate, either whether it was Clinton or Trump, talk about, you know, better schools or better teachers, et cetera. But it, it's been, at least in my lifetime, I never remember a real national discussion about it that has been anywhere near the forefront. Is there any possibility that we will see that as a big part in the next two years alongside healthcare, alongside taxes and wealth? Certainly should be, right? Because that, and even when we have education debates, they still seem small. Do we give money to a, a charter school? Like, how do you fund? How do you maybe get a little bit more money in the pocket of a teacher? Like, not that that's not important, but it's much more just the education system in general. We kind of know what the jobs of the future, the at least 10 years uh, future are. We know the ones that we can't fill. How do we better equip American students to be able to do those jobs probably at an earlier age?
engage with more proficiency so they can earn more money so we're more competitive against China and other countries. So like I hope that that's a conversation, but so far it's not been. And on your Ray Dalio point, like people should read it. It's a two-part piece that he did. He posted it on LinkedIn. I'd say the first part where he talks about the problems with capitalism today is interesting. I think his second part was disappointing to me in terms of talking about- The solutions piece. The solutions piece, because they don't really have any solutions. The solutions is not just, oh, we need people to work together uh, and we need to think about education. Like I thought it lacked a precision that his diagnostics had. And I think that's where people are still getting spooled up. There has to be a vigorous debate about how do you do this? You think about the 2020 campaign, so much of what we talk about is so small. It's It's around the margins. It's it's not fundamental change. Not fundamental change. And I'm surprised. I always thought a third party candidate, Howard Schultz, like talking about deficit reduction is like the last thing that America wants to talk about right now. Like I I thought a third party candidate would come in and talk about that. Like, let's rethink everything we even talk about in politics in terms of how do you take advantage? How do you take technology and turn it into a mass asset? How do you take technology and harness it to make sure that China doesn't eat our lunch? And so far, nobody's done that. Jim Vandehei, CEO of Axios. Thanks so much for joining us. Take care, Dan. My final two right after this. With offices in tech hubs throughout the country, including San Francisco, Boston, Atlanta, and now Seattle, BridgeBank continues to meet the innovation ecosystem wherever it thrives. And through its teams focused on technology and life sciences companies and the equity investors who fuel them, BridgeBank delivers a responsive, high-touch client experience. BridgeBank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is the UK, where they can't figure out Brexit, but do seem to have a new regulatory framework for big tech, whereby digital companies would be liable for any harmful or unlawful content that appears on their properties. So that means social networks like Facebook, search engines like Google, messaging services like Line, and user-generated content sites like Reddit. This would be a huge change for how the internet has worked since it was formed. And while this would only apply to content viewable in the UK, it is is the sort of thing that could soon be adopted by other countries who are trying to deal with these problems. And finally, Chuck E. Cheese, the venerable kids pizza and ball pit spot, is returning to the public markets through a so-called reverse merger. Lyndon Lee, who runs a private equity firm leading the deal, told me this morning that while most restaurant chains lose their customer appeal after a few years, Chuck E. Cheese is able to remain fresh because there are always new three-year-olds for whom it's a new experience. Clever mouse. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great National Empanada Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.